and tell me what's a happening. This is Pyromaniac Mo, and I'm coming at you for the 32nd episode of the Pyro Light Podcast. I got a doozy of a fantasy football talk for you, so stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we started things off tonight with the sultry sounds of Medeski Martin and Wood. That was an album, uh, Shack Man, and the fourth cut off that one is Bubble House from Modesky Martin and Wood. As always, stay tuned to the end of the show. You can hear the song in its entirety. Now, gang, as I alluded to, we're going to talk some fantasy very quickly, briefly. But I wanted to say, as a concerned citizen, guys, I hate to do it. I got to talk politics. And I know they say not to do it, but... I'm a good, red-blooded American, and I gotta say, I've got a concern, apparently. Now, I've seen this on more than one television station, that uh, the former governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I did not know that his military reach extended so far, but I guess the guy can call in a mobile strike from anywhere just simply using his cell phone. Now, that's alarming to me. And uh, I think we have to spread the word before this thing gets out of hand. Goodness gracious, Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, guys. Uh, as I said, fantasy football talk with uh, Matt Schaff from Draft Sharks. But before we get there, just want to take this moment of time to whisper in your ear. And guys, you know we love doing what we do, and you can help us out. We help you with fantasy. Help us out. Give us a review on iTunes. I know we say this all the time, but it truly does help our standing and helps other people find us so that hopefully we can start doing this full time. You know we are a fantasy football company with soul. That is Pyromaniac. Give back to us. Leave us a review on iTunes. Just tell us what you think. Uh, leave us a review, and it really, truly helps us. All right. Now, 
as I said before, we've got uh, Mr. Matt Shelf coming up very soon. And, of course, on the digital shelf, you can get our draft kit. We are just ready to release the third version of the 2016 draft kit. Soon as you buy it, uh, you are automatically entered so that every time an update comes out, you will get it right away. So you don't feel the need to wait until the end. Might as well get it now. That way you get to see the changes. You get to see the thought process. It really is a weapon of mass destruction. That's on the Pyro website. That's pyromaniac.com. Once again, I am Pyromaniac Mo. Follow me on Twitter at Pyromaniac Mo. That is P-Y-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-C-M-O. And it is mostly fantasy talk and partially a bunch of nonsense. So give me a follow over on Twitter. That is Pyromaniac Mo. All right, guys, we are going to be talking to Matt Schauf from Draft Sharks. Matt is the resident contrarian, and they do a great job with their draft analysis. That's the NFL draft now, we looked at some guys that fell in the rankings. We looked at some rookies or soon-to-be rookies that rose after we saw where they landed in the NFL draft. So the first portion of our uh, fantasy football chat today on the 32nd episode of the Pyro Light Podcast pertains to that. Then we do hit a couple of hot topics before we get into mid to late round running backs. Now, I know we're always talking uh, late round QB. We're always talking do the opposite. So that's Taking wide receivers early and often. Well, what does that leave you for running back? So we cover a bevy of guys that you're going to find fifth round and on. These are some names to take note. Guys I like, guys I don't, guys Matt likes, guys he doesn't. So we get into a conversation about those mid to late round running backs that you're going to want to know. And that is often a time when the draft can really be won or lost. That's the fantasy draft. Some of those mid-round guys. Here are the guys you're going to have multiple shots at, usually. Those early round guys, you're going to have one shot. And if you don't take it in the first round, he's going to be gone by the time it comes back. Some of these mid to late round guys, you're going to have a couple cracks at. So you really need to do your due diligence, know, do your homework, know all these guys. And we've got plenty of names for you. Once again, that is Matt Schaff from Draft Sharks joining me for the 32nd episode of the Pyrolite Podcast. I am Pyromaniac Mo. And stay tuned for Matt Schauf. All right, Pyromaniacs. As promised, I am sitting down with Mr. Matt Schauf. Matt was a 2011 finalist for Fantasy Sports Writing Association Fantasy Football Writer of the Year. He's had his work, his fantasy work, published in The Sporting News, Athlon, Roto World, and Football Diehards. Matt is the official Draft Sharks contrarian. His work can be found on the Draft Sharks website and, of course, is co-host of the Draft Sharks podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at ShaufDS. That is at S-H-S, I'm sorry, at S-C-H-A-U-F-D-S. Mr. Schauf, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's uh, my pleasure. You know, Houdini, one of uh, my pyro brethren, he's been a longtime subscriber of you guys, and uh, I've been listening to the podcast, uh, especially the recent draft stuff you guys have been doing. Um, really insightful and really helped me out because, you know, I'm a teacher by day. They, they throw up the FF bat signal by night, and I, I come out and uh, give mediocre fantasy advice once in a while, but... Uh, uh, it's hard to keep up with all the stuff going on in the NFL and all the stuff going on in college as well. And these guys are entering and you guys have done a great job covering the draft and uh, ranking these players. So I can't wait to talk to talk to you about that and some other things. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I, I've dug myself into the rookies 
a lot more this year than in previous years. DraftBreakdown.com has been a great help with that, with all the prospect videos that they post. Um, you know, we really tried to um, up the dynasty coverage as there, you know, more and more people play in that format. So it's been fun to do, though. Yeah, we're going to actually get into that. So Pyromaniacs, stay tuned. All right. Now, Matt, um, you're a regular in the Draft Starks studios, and I believe coming to us from there today. I'm not sure. Um, but tell some of the pyromaniacs a little bit about Draft Sharks and a little bit about where they can find your work. I am sitting in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York right now. Um, DraftSharks.com has been online since 1999, founded by my boss, Lenny Papano, still running it. Um, back when I was in college, I was just starting to play fantasy. Most of us didn't really even know what this stuff was. He's been doing it ever since then. It's been around ever since. Um, we won the FSTA accuracy award for, um, preseason projections in 2011, 2013, finished second and third, two other years. I credit my colleague, Jared Smolf a lot for that. Cause he's, he's smarter with the numbers than I am. I, I try to bring the, uh, um, I, I bring a little bit of the attitude around here some personality, but he's, he's more in tune with numbers, a little smarter about divvying them up. Um, we got a small group of guys. Um, it's mostly a subscription website. Um, you're not going to find advertising. You will find people answering your questions. And, you know, we just have fun. Do what we love. It's phenomenally insightful. And, of course, I loved uh, you and Smola on the, the podcast. So, Pyromaniacs, uh, check them out. Do yourself a favor. Now, one thing we I always ask my guests, and it's sort of the impetus for uh, the fantasy football talks, that, you know, we've got so many intelligent guys across the the industry, and there's so many different variations of takes and insights and places to go. So we like to try to pull back the curtain and ask people where they go to get some of their insights and experience. So maybe it's a, a specific stat that you really find useful, or maybe it's a website or a metric, anything. But what's something that you yourself use either during the season or to prep for the draft that helps you out in fantasy? Um, I really like to use the metrics that Football Outsiders has. I think they get deeper into efficiency beyond the traditional stats. I used to use Pro Football Focus all the time until they switched up their subscription model. Um, Ooh. <laughs> exactly. I, that hurt, especially as an IDP guy myself. It was key for all the stuff that I could get on defensive players. But, you know, trying to move on um, without that. Uh, beyond that, I, I wouldn't say that there's any regular source for me or, or things that I use. Um, it, it's really, you know, when I'm on Twitter and if I see anything that's, that strikes my interest, I go check it out. I know the Rotoviz guys do some impressive stuff with all their mathiness. Um, I, I love listening to Sigmund Bloom podcasts, pretty much any yeah. podcast that he does for football guys. I especially like the IDP roundtable he does with Gene Bramble and John Norton. Um, Mike Clay has been a favorite of mine. Um, you know, for years, as he is with most people at this point, as we've all watched him climb. So, you know, when those guys do things or say things, I, I, it piques my interest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike Clay and Sigmund Bloom, both uh, friends of the Pyro Fantasy Football Talks. I've talked to those guys in the past. And like you say, you know, people say they remember where they were when JFK was shot or 9-11 was going on. I remember when I clicked on my computer and my subscription ran out to PFF and I couldn't see the stuff I used to see. It was a sad day. And the worst thing was it was like the beginning of October, too. So we had gotten a little bit into football season, you know, going along as normal. And then all of a sudden, no more. I know. It was it was it was terrible. It was a mournful day. Let me we, can't, we can't stay on the subject or I might start crying again. 
<laughs> I know, I know. Enough. Sh I've already shower cried enough, and now I'm just going to start doing it in my coffee. Okay, so the draft has taken place, and the pundits are racing to lay down the prognostications. Now, admittedly, in years past, I have flipped my lid. I've gone gaga for rookies. Uh, 2014, I, I might have had, I don't know, four or five rookies. It, I just went way overboard. Now, that said, I, I'm going to probably avoid them. I mean, not really avoid them. I'm going to maybe draft two on a team and certainly pick them up later. I think a lot of times people forget that it takes, for some rookies, six or seven weeks to really work in. And so you can pick up a David Johnson or some gems on the waiver wire after uh, a couple of weeks. So I'll certainly have my fair share of rookies. But in the draft, I'm going to try to limit myself. Now, I went back recently looked at the last seven years, from 2009 to 2015. I basically looked at 48 spots, so that's the top 24 running backs and the top 24 wide receivers at the end of a season. I believe I looked at PPR. On average, for those 48 top spots, top 24 wide receivers, top 24 running backs, 48 players, on average, 3.4 were rookies since 2009. So that's not a high percentage of you landing one of those guys. So, uh, although it's certainly we all get excited when the rookies come, but you got to go into it with a little bit of caution and certainly some education. So that's what I want to ask you about. What are some rookies that you're particularly excited about this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly the way to go is to be wary of rookies in general, not go after them too early. I'm, I'm okay with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, where he's going. I'm not going to chase him, you know, every draft, but I'm okay with him in that range. And if you miss, then you miss. I mean, every running back up there has risk. The two guys that I'm most interested in, um, though, are CJ Proceis and DeAndre Washington. Proceis, I was a big fan of watching his Notre Dame videos. Um, and then he landed in Seattle in the third round, fourth running back off the board. So I like how much they like him. Um, and I like that he's landing in a backfield where Thomas Rawls, I really liked last year. And if he were healthy right now, I would be very excited about him heading into 2016. He's a question mark, though, because of that broken leg that still hasn't allowed him to get back to 100 percent as far as we know. If that lingers into camp and, you know, delays his readiness, I think Procise starts out as a strong passing game contributor. Seattle's already said that they'll give him that. But I think that if the opportunity for him to take some carries is there, he is good enough to take some of the ball-carrying role and not give it back even when Thomas Rawls gets healthy. Um, so I think that that's a good place to start with a guy is somebody that you know has a defined role but also potential for more beyond that. And it's really similar um, with DeAndre Washington for me in Oakland. Latavius Murray was a very inefficient receiver among running backs last season. Um, DeAndre Washington at least stands to do that after he caught 124 balls in college. And I think that he looked really good on tape as well as a running back, better inside runner than you would anticipate if you looked at his size. But also I think that it's easy to look at how short he is and kind of underestimate his size. He's just about the same size as um, LaShawn McCoy. Um, so he's short, but he's not small. And Reggie McKenzie, the GM in Oakland, called him a, quote, complete back. So you always have to like that. I like both those, particularly the Procise. I'm a Notre Dame fan. I, I live a couple hours away. Ever since I was, I don't know, four years old, I've seen a game every year. It, and seeing Procise both as a wide receiver and a running back. And last year, I got to tell you, when he moved to running back, uh, I think it was primarily they had some major injuries at running back. But wow, he was 
jaw-dropping uh, to see out there. So he's only, I think, really got one year under his belt. I think he's only going to get better at the running back position. And uh, just a really exciting pass catcher in the way Rawls runs. He's a real physical runner. Could be opening a door for Procise. Mm-hmm. We'll have, have to see. Now, another physical runner I wanted to bring up, he, he was compared to Thomas Rawls, is uh, Dixon. Now, all the pyromaniacs know I really loved uh, Forsett. And if you remember Forsett last year, uh, he, he, people give him a lot of flack. But on um, Pro Football Focus, I looked up, the after the first eight weeks, he was the eighth-rated PPR back. And then, of course, they had the bye week, week nine. He got injured week 11. So a lot of people kind of just wrote him off. But he was doing just great. Now, I think uh, Dixon might work his way in a little bit later down the line. He's a guy I'm kind of thinking might be available on the waiver wires. People might pick him up. I don't think they're going to throw him into the fire right away, but I could see Dixon working his way in down the line. He's a guy I might think I could find on the waiver wires. Maybe one of the best pass-catching backs going to perhaps one of the best coaches for pass-catching backs in Tressman. Uh, what do you think, or offensive coordinator, I suppose, what do you think of Kenneth Dixon? I, I love Kenneth Dixon. I mean, he topped 800 carries as a four-year workhorse. I, I know it was Louisiana Tech, but he chose Louisiana Tech over offers to SEC schools because he knew he would play right away there, caught a ton of passes. I think he's not only the best receiving back in the rookie class, I think he's instantly one of the um, better receiving backs in the NFL because he showed receiver-type skills. I know there was one um, – I, I did his profile – uh, for draft sharks, and I know there was one um, touchdown catch that he had on the sideline. It was like the kind of catch where if a receiver did it, you'd been like, oh, that's a really nice catch. Uh, yeah. But knowing that it was a running back, I think it's even more impressive. We'll see how quickly he can work in there. I wouldn't be shocked if he leads Baltimore in touches this year, though. Uh, what, 5,452 yards at Louisiana Tech, 87 touchdowns over four seasons. Uh, had a thousand rushing yards three of those years. Finished with a 5.6 yards carry. He's a he's a good looking back for set and even his buddy Buck Allen by Pro Football Focus. They ranked pass blockers. Um, they ranked running backs in the pass blocking. They came in and at the very bottom. Four set was 68th out of 69, and uh, Allen was 60th out of 69. So I know they're looking for some pass blocking help. Taliaferro is great, but with the injury to uh, the quarterback there, I think they're going to really want uh, to get somebody on the field, and hopefully a guy like uh, Dixon can help protect Flacco. What about a, a wide receiver? Anybody that you really like in the draft? I mean, a lot of decent wide receivers. They talk about a lot of uh, number two wide receivers, but anybody that you really like or perhaps you like a spot where they landed? I, I mean, I think for redraft purposes, Corey Coleman's really the most interesting guy. I think he and Sterling Shepard are probably the two – um, you know, value versus talent targets for redraft this year. Uh, the other guys, I don't, I don't think Laquan, Laquan Treadwell's ceiling is going to reach that high for fantasy yet um, because they're going to be limited volume and, you know, we'll see how far down the field he works. Um, Josh Doxson, I think he's going to be hurting for uh, regular targets. So I, I would say really Shepard and, and Corey Coleman are the, the redraft targets, but I think it's an interesting class. And I think Malcolm Mitchell is, both in the short term and the long term, maybe the the sleeper here, the guy who could have a high fantasy ceiling because he really looked good at Georgia, um, was a big part of their uh, passing game last year in his final season and lands in a great spot for opportunity in, in New England. Now, you mentioned Shepard. I, I really like him. 40th 
overall pick, uh, fifth wide receiver taken, not a big guy, 5'10", 194 pounds, uh, Oklahoma guy, really he had a great year as last year. Uh, what I really like about him, I think, is opportunity. And sometimes opportunity is can outweigh talent. If you don't have a path to start, you can be awesome. But if you don't have a path to start, we're not going to see it on the field. I think what's going on in New York, he's going to have some opportunity under uh, McAdoo, who's now moving into the head coach, under his tutelage as OC. I think there were the ninth um, most pass attempts and the sixth most pass attempts in the last two years. So lots of opportunity. And, you know, with the injury, the patellar tendon injury, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm really not buying anybody else stepping up for New York. Certainly, um, uh, ODB, but Victor Cruz with the patellar tendon, I am not seeing it. So I really like Sterling Shepard. Yeah, I mean, I think too, um, one one way that we can get ourselves into trouble with fantasy projections is overrating opportunity um, for a lesser talent. But I don't think that applies to Shepard because I think he's and I think he's at least a good enough player to take advantage of this opportunity. And he's actually a little bit bigger than Victor Cruz. So he's, he's fine size wise. I, I think Victor Cruz will at least return to take some targets, but you know, I have to agree until we see it, it's tough to expect him to be anything um, close to what he was before an injury that has wrecked careers in the past. Yeah. I did a study not too long ago. I don't have it in front of me, but there numerous guys in the NFL uh, were injured. Very small percentage came back. And really, out of memory, the only one that statistically, I think, had a better season after a patellar tendon injury was Cadillac Williams. And I think it was one year he did better. Other than that, it, it's, a, it's a pretty rough injury to come back from. Historically, uh, not much success. Uh, we'll have to see, but I'm, not, I'm certainly not betting on Cruz. And that's one of the main reasons I really like Shepard. And I think he's good enough to uh, handle possession receiver uh, it gets you, especially in PPR leagues, I think he's a, a good number two. Or number two on the team, mm -hmm. perhaps wide receiver three, maybe perhaps wide receiver four in fantasy. Yeah. Now, what about the other side of the coin? Were there any guys that you were either soured on or you just didn't like the landing spot, guys that you might be avoiding in the draft? Uh, I loved Devontae Booker heading into the draft. Yeah, um, yeah. He, it, basically, the only thing that had me ranking Kenneth Dixon ahead of Booker is that Kenneth Dixon's younger and spent more time as a starter in college. So I guess it was a bit more proven. Other than that, I think they're very similar. Both look like three-down backs. Booker looked terrific in two years at Utah. Coming off a knee injury, though, and I, I'm a big fan of C.J. Anderson. So I, I know that he has yet to show it over a full season, but I think if he's healthy in 2016, he's the workhorse in Denver. And I don't think that there's going to be enough room for Booker to do anything right away. I think, you know, long term, I, I still like Booker, but uh, he's I want to say he's 24 right now, maybe. Um, I know he's uh, definitely one of the older guys in the class. So that, I think that hurts his dynasty outlook a little bit. I'm certainly not nearly as interested in him in redraft as I was hoping to be. That was a guy I liked, too. I liked Booker and I like C.J. Anderson. Like you say, he's had two second half seasons that were really great, finished up amazing. Uh, last year, injuries plagued him in the first part. But the interesting thing with Booker, his comparable NFL guy is C.J. Anderson. So I'm just not sure. It's like they just drafted a mini-me, and I really think it hurts both guys' fantasy. So um, both of them have fallen down my ranks, particularly C.J. Anderson. See, I'm not, I'm not too worried about Anderson, though, because I think that the money that they gave him in an offseason where they let plenty of other guys walk away um, tells me that they consider C.J. Anderson a feature back. 
And the fact that when he hit free agency, the Bears tried to sign him with former Broncos coach John Fox, and Miami did sign him to an offer sheet with former Broncos OC Adam Gase. So basically, the three teams that chased C.J. Anderson this year were the three teams that know him. That's always a good sign. And yeah, Elway kind of bungled that deal. Um, But uh, hopefully you're right, because I am a big believer in C.J. Anderson, uh, but I think I, I think he might get pushed for touches with Booker, particularly later in the season. What about um, a wide receiver? Um, any wide receivers that you might have uh, liked and then perhaps after you saw where they went weren't as hot on? Uh, definitely not as big a fan of Leonte Carew. Um, yeah, Miami. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not – I wasn't his biggest fan going in. I thought he looked fine. I thought he looked pretty safe. But um, – and, you know, long term he might be fine in Miami as well. But – as long as Jarvis Landry and Devontae Parker are there, I mean, that obviously caps his upside. It pushes him at least a little bit down the board. And in a year where I think the all the wide receivers in those first, you know, round or two of dynasty drafting, I feel like there's they're pretty bunched. So landing in Miami versus like Sterling Shepard landing with the Giants and Michael Thomas landing with the Saints, um, that pushes Carew behind those guys, at least for me. Yeah, and with Michael Thomas and the Saints, that – I'm not sure who he's going to push. I'm hoping it's Coleman because I really like Sneed, but I'm a little worried uh, about my Sneed because I'm a big Sneed guy. And uh, we're talking about the Ohio State Michael Thomas, of course. Um, he's, he's an older guy too, uh, 23, I believe. Um, but, yeah, they got 177 vacated targets in New Orleans, so certainly some opportunity there. But uh, do you think he'll push Sneed for wide receiver two or really just edge out Coleman for wide receiver three? I think I don't think it's he's going to hurt Sneed right away because I, I know one of the knocks on him at Ohio State was he took a while to learn the playbook and mm. was uh, was slow to start there because of that. Um, New Orleans, though, has really spread the ball around much more than most other teams. Yeah. Their top target on their team is usually in the 19 to 22 percent. Um, range of targets among the team. Whereas, you know, a lot of teams have somebody who gets 24 plus some teams get all the way up to 30. If you're looking at like Deandre Hopkins, AJ green. So they spread it around pretty well. I think he's going to step into Marcus Colson's old role. I think Willie Sneed makes a lot of sense at doing what Lance Moore used to do. Um, I think it's going to cap the target upside for both of them, but at least as long as Drew Brees is there, I think there's enough to keep them all kind of in high wide receiver four, low wide receiver three range, which is probably where Snead is going to go this year anyway in drafts. Yeah, I thought I might be able to get some value at Snead, uh, but, you know, Fleener coming in and now Michael Thomas. I, I still like Snead. I, I like what I see there, but I'm not as high on him yeah. as I once was. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys at Draft Sharks, I mentioned this, do a great job, pre-draft and post-draft. And I, I like the comparison of the two, your, your pre-draft rankings and then your post-draft rankings. So give me a, a climber or a faller. Who was uh, maybe ranked really high and then after the draft ranked really low, according to your guys' rankings? Um, Kenyon Drake jumped 12 spots um, from pre-draft to post-draft after he was a third running back off the board. Uh, Wendell Smallwood jumped 13 spots. He was down at 43rd up to 30th. So both of those guys moved a lot. And I mean, uh, not as big a jump for Jordan Howard, but with six spots, he jumped from kind of the second half of round two in rookie drafting to the first half. So I, I think all those guys landed in good spots or went in a good range for their um, their values among running backs. Malcolm Mitchell was a good riser too, up nine spots from 25 to 16. Um, I like him even on the fringe of, of round one, beginning of round two territory in rookie drafts. Fallers, 
Um, Jonathan Williams fell five spots, went to Buffalo, the guy from Arkansas who I like much better than Alex Collins. Um, Alex Collins is another faller. I've been arguing him down our ranking since before our first um, edition came out. So I'm cool with him being as low as my colleagues are willing to put him. And then a couple of late wide receivers, Kiaris Garrett and Sharon Peak, I think both went later um, than we would have expected them to. Peak, I guess, had a knee concern and Garrett went undrafted, surprisingly. That's, uh, again, Draft Sharks, you guys do a great job putting everybody likes lists and numbers and uh, seeing it mathematically like that, the risers and climbers, you can really get a good feel for perspective on the draft and how it affects guys' talent insight into the 2016 fantasy season. All right, enough with the rookies. There's plenty of guys in the NFL to talk about. What about some maybe NFL 10s? I'm not sure if you're a big NFL 10 guy, but maybe guys you're taking in drafts or at least guys that you're currently high on. Are there any guys that you can see yourself drafting in numerous drafts, uh, high stock in NFL 10, guys that you really like so far? Yeah, I've done three or four of those so far. So I'm not a high volume player, but I'm certainly involved. Um, I, I like where uh, you can get Eddie Lacy, Mark Ingram, CJ Anderson uh, into round three, sometimes even into early round four, as everybody is pushing wide receivers way up their board. Um, you know, it makes sense that things are going that way after the way 26, 2015 went. But I think people are overrating a little bit uh, uh, a, 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 an outlier of a season in terms of running back values. We always see early running back busts. Last year, though, was more rare than most seasons in terms of injuries, um, you know, sandwiches for Eddie Lacy. Uh, just guys, you know, falling apart up top. I, I think we're going to see more guys deliver on their early round value. And I think it's it's easier to get running back value this year um, than it has been. Alshon Jeffrey, though, among the um, early wide receivers is a guy that I will probably get um, a decent amount because I think he's right up there with like A.J. Green, um, not far behind DeAndre Hopkins. And he's going to make it well into round two, whereas those other guys are going late round one. Yeah, I like a lot of those green uh, getting, you know, never really a flashy guy. Nobody ever sort of says, ah, oh, when you draft him, but especially with all the vacated targets, I think he's going to be a rock this year. And I'm, I'm liking Lacey myself. I don't have it in front of me, but, um, everybody blamed the weight and I'm sure that was a contributing factor. And I know he's P90X or whatever, and I'm sure that will also be a positive contributing factor to next year. But there was a lot of other things going on there. You know, not even just the loss of Jordy, but offensive line, uh, as I said, I don't have it in front of me, but they were top 10 in 2014 and basically ranked in the bottom 10 in 2015. Points per game, I want to say they were first in 2014 with around 30, and they fell like a full touchdown less, down to like 23 or 24 points per game um, last year. So a lot of things that were just not just lazy, but that whole offense, I think they're going to get that corrected. Um McCarthy's calling the plays again. I, th I think that's going to be great, and I think he's going to be uh, a big-time steal. Um, and as you said, a lot of people are going uh, wide receiver early, whether you call that zero RB, whether you call that uh, do the opposite. So that's kind of I, – I got some other questions here for you, but that's kind of some of the things I wanted to get in here to today. So lots of mid-round running back. Uh, stay tuned. All right, as I said, we want to touch on some of those uh, mid-round guys. Now, particularly somebody I'm looking at is uh, uh, Sims. What do you think about Charles Sims down in Tampa? 
I'm I'm fine with Charles Sims. I'm not excited about him, but I think that there's no reason that he can't reprise uh, or reprise last year's role as their lead pass catching back. I don't think he's going to cede that work back to Doug Martin. I don't think he's going to take a whole lot of Doug Martin's rushing work away, but you know, if Doug Martin got hurt, uh, that would certainly push more to him. And I think that that should be an ascending offense as we've seen Mike Evans, um, you know, admit that he needs to play better than he did last year. And Jameis Winston is apparently getting into shape. I think, I think it was his teammate, Jonathan Banks, um, said that he showed up to OTAs looking like a DB. I love Sims. I actually sat down and watched all his touches last season, and he had some incredible plays. Just the way his eyes and his feet hook up. I mean, he can look and see a hole open, and it's almost like they're on a string. As soon as you see his head start to turn, his feet start to adjust. Super quick, uh, quick in the hips. I really loved what I saw from him. Um, and Tampa, they drafted an uh, offensive tackle uh, in the fifth. Uh, could possibly add some depth there. I think the quarterback position is shaping up. I think everybody started to increase and get more comfortable in the game scheme there. Uh, Sims averaged 10 looks a game. That's targets and carries. Uh, just over 10 looks a game and was still producing. And even though he didn't have many touches, I think his talent weighs out 4.9 yards per carry. Going in the sit, uh, seventh in MFL 10s. And of course, according to Pyromaniacs, strength of schedule, we've got Tampa coming in at number one. So I'm a big Sims believer this year. I just drafted him in our uh, mock draft. Some other running backs that I'm kind of targeting, again, these are guys sixth round and later predominantly. Matt, we've been talking a lot about, you know, Paul Chargian's strategy of uh, do the opposite. Again, other people call it zero RB. And I think a lot of times on podcasts, everybody talks about, you know, the top 20 running backs, but you never really dive into some of the later guys. And that's kind of what I want to do. And then we'll, we'll spread it around to some of the other positions here in a bit. Mm -hmm. What about Ryan Matthews? I'm loving this kid, but uh, what do you think about him in Philly? I think he's kind of got to be considered one of the draft winners. Uh, personally, he compared to the other backs there, DeMarco Murray, 3.6 yards per carry, Sproles, 3.8. Matthews, 5.1 behind the same line. Uh, had an extremely high success rate according to number fire metrics. He's currently going sixth in MFL 10s. What do you think about Matthews? Yeah, I think he was one of the biggest veteran winners from the NFL draft. Uh, I, I expected the Eagles to add more competition. Um, Wendell Smallwood uh, was fine in college. He didn't really excite me. I mean, he fit, he finished with a workhorse type of season in his final season of West Virginia. Um, but he's, he's not as explosive as you would like for a guy who is a little bit smaller and was not that hard a runner inside. So I think he's more of a backup for now, as long as Ryan Matthews is there. And uh, as an Eagles fan, I watched, you know, pretty much every game last year, as much as I could stomach. Um, and Ryan Matthews was quite clearly the best running back in that backfield. And it was frustrating to not see him get more consistent carries. You know, we all know about the history of durability issues, but if he misses, four games and is uh, a top 12 running back in those other 12 games, he's going to be well worth his um, draft position, probably outperform his draft position on a week to week basis at least. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, injury. Now, uh, how big are you? Do, does that really factor in when you're drafting? I know you guys do uh, some cool stuff with Jake Davido, uh, sports injury predictor. Um, how much do you really weigh that? Because, for example, a guy like um, 
Matthews might scare off a few people just because of his injuries in the past. Now, to me, I don't factor it in as much. I think there's a lot of randomness to it. Uh, however, it's so, uh, tendon, soft tissue injuries, those can be a little bit scarier. But uh, are you avoiding guys like a Matthews just because of past injuries? No. Um, I, what I What I might steer away from is guys who are, you know, having hamstring issues in the summer. Um, yeah. if a guy's missing time, then, uh, even if the team says no big deal, he'll be ready for the season. That might be a guy where I avoid, cause I don't know how that's going to go. But you know, the fact that Ryan Matthews, uh, had a concussion last year or broke his collarbone four years ago, uh, that doesn't bug me. Cause especially now as running back sc- scoring gets spread out more throughout the rounds and other positions, you know, more guys are catching passes. It's easier to put five of them on your roster and say, yeah, Ryan Matthews is probably going to miss a game or two at some point, but I can plug one of these two, one of these two guys in, um, you know, I can, if I, if I'm a handcuff believer, I can put, uh, I can attach Smallwood to him. I think with all the running backs around handcuffing makes less sense these days, but there are just more options available. Um, it's not at this point, it's not like if you lose your second round running back, your fantasy season is shot. I'm not as big of a handcuffer. I mean, maybe uh, D'Angelo Williams might be a guy yeah. I would target. Uh, but honestly, I would I would rather have, instead of just getting a guy, because it's kind of like you're losing two positions yep. and you're counting on an injury in order for guy B to be worth it. I'd rather play a, a, a chance on a guy that can maybe do it and maybe has a spot not just waiting for somebody to go down. So I'd rather use that pick on somebody who's got some actual upside and some actual opportunity. I agree. I think that, you know, handcuffing makes sense now, not in the, in it, not if you just draft the backup for the guy that you have starting. I think it makes sense in say Atlanta last year where we had Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman heading into the season. Didn't know really who was going to lead things yeah. there, but had a pretty good feeling that at least one of them was going to deliver some worthwhile fantasy numbers. So you take both of those guys in round, you know, eight, nine, ten, and you've got the starter there. Or you take the pass catching back like CJ Procise to handcuff him to Thomas Rawls, and you get yeah. two guys that have roles, and one of them might get more work if the starter gets hurt. Yeah, I like that. You know, taking a guy that is, if the starter goes down, is going to be top ten elite like a D'Angelo Williams. Or, like you say, uh, somebody that can both produce and maybe one guy runs away with it uh i'm even thinking you know i'm only thinking this because we just did our mock draft stag party one of my pyro brethren he drafted west and where which is kind of unique but i actually kind of liked it um because I, i'm not sure who's gonna run away with it somebody i think has got to help jamal even though the last time we saw jamal come off a big injury he, he did incredibly well i just think he's getting older and i, I kind of like drafting like you say a precise and a Rawls. Uh, or like a wear in the West, and then certainly a D'Angelo. Uh, but I'm not a big handcuffer, yep. so I might have one. That's about I'll it. I'll tell you one spot where I would like to do it this year is Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell in Cleveland because you can yeah. get those there two guys in, you know, sixth to ninth round range. And I think under Hugh Jackson, with a team that's going to be better built to run than pass right away, I would bet on at least one of those guys delivering. Well, look at Gio and Hill, and I think Duke Johnson is going to very much fill the Gio Bernard uh, role in that offense. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys had value, uh, so I like that call there as well. Um, what about another late rounder in MFL 10s? He's going 11th 
round. And uh, ironically enough, we're kind of talking about injuries. Last year was the f- first year since his rookie year, 2009. I'm talking about Richard Jennings. Last year was his first year. He played a full slate of games, 16. Um, draft they, Giants, they drafted Paul Perkins from UCLA in the fifth round. Now, I don't think he's going to be on the field, a uh, red zone guy in short yardage situations. I'm referring to Paul Perkins. That's a Jennings role. I'm not even sure Andre Williams is going to be on the team come <laughs> come fall. Uh, he is just god-awful. Now, uh, Richard Jennings, 11th round in MFL 10s. We're talking about a starting running back in the NFL. Uh, Jennings finished his final four games of 2015 with 521 all-purpose yards, 432 on the ground. I like Jennings. Uh, I'm certainly not confident he's going to finish a game, but... You know, we saw last year, plug and play, you can get a, a block of four weeks from a guy that can really lift you up. And I like Jennings in that situation. I think he's 11th round value. What do you think about a Rashad Jennings? Yeah, I love the value on him. Before they drafted Perkins, I still like the value on him. The only question for me is whether the Giants see Perkins as depth and, you know, a, a running back of the future type for them or a, an immediate challenger in a spot where they needed to get better. Rashad Jennings last year, he only reached 55% of the team carries in one of the first 12 games. Then he hit 70, 70 plus percent in three of the final four. So I don't know exactly who was holding him back early or what changed for them. Um, maybe Ben McAdoo realized what he needed to do with him. Maybe he got the shackles taken off um, and, and, and finally played Jennings more late in the season. If that continues, you know, he could seriously outperform his draft position um, and at the least, he there's basically no risk to taking Jennings where you can right now. Yeah, great value, uh, 11th round. Uh, another guy going right about there, uh, Danny Woodhead. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, he's going 6th round, Danny Woodhead. 6th uh, round in MFL 10s, pass-catching Maven. Now, only 97 rushing attempts, 107 targets, led all running backs and targets. Uh, only five single-digit PPR games. Four games over 20 fantasy points in PPR. Now, the one thing people don't realize with Woodhead is they, at least last year, I know that offense is going to change a little bit, but last year they use him in the red zone. 59% of the team's rushing attempts in the red zone, Danny Woodhead. 23% of the team's red zone targets, Danny Woodhead. I find myself owning this guy nearly every year. I just drafted him in the uh, Pyro mock. Uh, He's one of my guys. I don't know if it's sort of reverse... uh, what do you call it? Reverse prejudice, a, a white running back. People try to avoid him or, or what the deal is, but I really like him. What do you think about Woodhead? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's, if you don't like Danny Woodhead at this point, you're just being stubborn. Um, he outperformed what I expected heading into last season, um, and he did it more consistently than I would have expected. Like his numbers didn't shock me, but I think um, how often he delivered starter level level value was surprising to me. Melvin Gordon, meanwhile, did basically nothing that should make us optimistic about him. I mean, the only thing to like about him at this point is that you remember that he was really good in college and you assume that he that that talent will to some degree transfer the NFL. But he had about as discouraging a rookie year as he could have. And then he had uh, microfracture knee surgery in the offseason, which isn't that doesn't necessarily mean there's been a wide range of outcomes on microfracture surgery. Uh, Marcus Colson comes to mind immediately for me as somebody who was fine afterward and people were quite worried about it at that point. So his knee might be just fine, but 
it's one of those things where it's just one more question mark with a guy who already has a lot of proving of himself to do this year. Yeah, and he's young, so hopefully that can play into injury recovery with him. But, yeah, gosh, you know, and I honestly thought Melvin Gordon, he, too, is going in the sixth round. I would, and I think he's going to do better this year than last. There's has to be. I mean, there's no other way you can say it. There has to be positive TD regression, meaning he has to get in there. Right. Um, Assuming he knows where it's located, you have to figure he's going to do it. Right. And, and, you know, they got those little wristbands. I'm sure he can draw himself a map, uh, something, a little arrow, run this way, like Forrest Gump. <laughs> um, but, you know, I honestly thought in the draft they would take more offensive linemen. I mean, at one point last year, I think four of the five were all listed as either doubtful or out. Um, that was for one game. Uh, shuffling guys around, just a porous offensive line, and they didn't address it till the third round, Turk. Um, was the center, and then the only other one they got was at the very tail end, the uh, uh, Clark offensive guard in the seventh round. So I I really expected them to be doing something on offensive line. Uh, hopefully they'll they'll just be healthy and be better. But that scares me a little bit about Gordon and that microfracture surgery. I'm not I don't think I'm buying him in the sixth, but time will tell will change. But do you think he's a six round value in MFL? I don't. I mean, I, I would, I would be okay with him there, but you got other guys like Isaiah Crowell still available. Um, Amir Abdul is going the same range. Um, you know, you mentioned Ryan Matthews is going in a similar range. I, I'm not, I'm not even considering taking Melvin Gordon yeah. if I can get Ryan Matthews or um, Jay Ajayi or, uh, you know, whoever else is, is going in that same range. Yeah, Ryan Matthews, honestly, like a, a Sims is a guy I'm going to target. A Ryan Matthews, as of right now, he's a guy I'm looking to target. I will probably go wide receiver heavy early, take some running backs, and that's kind of where we're, we're having this conversation. So if you are a wide receiver early guy, this is the conversation for you. And if you take um, running backs early and are in this spot where now a lot of the people who push wide receivers to the top of the board are taking running backs – then you can be grabbing wide receivers. Say Melvin Gordon, say all these other running backs that we just mentioned are gone at this point, and you're looking at Melvin Gordon as, I don't know, the next running back on your list. Skip over him, wait a few rounds, and you'll get guys like Rashad Jennings um, and you know Justin Forsett still there taking a chance to see if he's a starter-level fantasy guy for three or four weeks at least. Um, so just the, there's no reason for me to, to, to look at Gordon where you're going to be drafting him. And two other guys. Uh, going right around this level, um, and we already kind of brought them up in that we were talking a little bit about their uh, the team's rookies that they drafted. Let's start with the sixth round, MFL 10, Ajahi. I suppose we should say we're talking May, so sixth round May, MFL 10, um, which, of course, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a little different. It's best ball, PPR, best ball, so you're not setting your lineups. It's literally just uh, you plug and play, and you, you don't think about it ever again. So guys that, you know, Deshaun Jackson, I think, might have a little bit more value because he can have some really home run games, but then he can disappear for a while. Well, his disappearance in MFL 10s doesn't matter as much. So little different philosophy, but sixth round MFL 10 Ajahi. Now, everybody knows the story about the cartilageless knee and uh, they drafted the Bama pass catcher Kenyon Drake in the third. I really like running backs under Gase. I was kind of excited about Ajahi. Uh, drafting Drake gives me pause, but I still think in the sixth round, he's a guy I might consider. I'm really kind of on the fence with him. What do you think about Ajahi? I, I think Ajahi has uh, breakout potential. 
Um, Kenyon Drake, I think, is more we'll, – we'll see what the Dolphins plan to do with him, but I think he's more complement than challenger to Ajayi's role. Um, he never topped 92 carries in a season at Alabama, had more durability issues than Ajayi did in, in college. I mean, his question is a knee injury from like four years ago now that it's a long-term question. So uh, it, it's not a 2016 yeah. issue for me. I'm just – it's a non-factor. Um, he was a workhorse at Boise State. 347 carries his final season, 50 catches in that same season, um, 32 total touchdowns. He had 19 total touchdowns the year before. He's now had basically a year off, you know, a year of very light work, kind of like Ray Rice did when he came into the league um, after a workhorse career at Rutgers. So I I think he should be fresh. I I think he's talented. I think he would have been a second round pick. Uh, last year, if not for the long-term knee question. I remember when he was drafted, they were saying, you know, he fell in the draft uh, when Ajahi was drafted last year in uh, 20, what, I guess the 2015 draft. Yeah. And I remember them talking. I remember Mike Mayak talking that, uh, that one of the reasons he was falling, of course, is the cartilage, but that many of the owners and GMs didn't think he'd be able to be a second contract guy, meaning five, four, five years down the line, he might not be around. And like you said, that's not a 2016 issue, year two, and he just didn't get much work last year. So I hear you. I, I don't think the injury as, is as concerning as many make it out to be, and I really love running backs under a gase. Last guy I want to talk about running back, we kind of alluded to him with the, the DeAndre Washington pick in the fifth round by Oakland. Now Latavius Murray, I've talked to people who are all over the board on this guy. He's going at the start of the fifth, which is a little rich for me. Um, however, I, I've heard people say, well, uh, he's not going to be a, you know, can't be a 300 carry back. Well, hell, who is anymore? There there are no three. I mean, Peterson did it. I think he was the only one that did it last yep. year. We, they just don't have those guys anymore. So I, I do like a Murray. However, boy, early fifth is is rich. What do you think about Latavius Murray and the fact we already kind of talked about it? They drafted DeAndre Washington. I, I'm okay with him in his draft position. I would probably be um, bullish on him if they didn't take a guy that I really liked in the draft, and DeAndre Washington. Um, Jack Del Rio has said that he thinks Murray still has untapped potential. So um, I think it's a matter of whether he can turn like that raw athleticism into a, a better running back. He wasn't that efficient last year. Football Outsiders ranked him 29th um, and 32nd in their two main rushing efficiency metrics um, that measure, you know, like per play efficiency. Uh, that's out of 44 qualifying running backs. He was even worse as a receiver, though, um, 54th and 55th among 58 guys. So uh, if he I, I'm assuming that he's going to lose a significant amount of receiving work to DeAndre Washington. I think he'll still be the lead ball carrier for at least this year. He's in a contract year. Oakland's not going to have much of a reason to, you know, like ease up on him or anything. They're going to be testing him to see if he's worth signing beyond this season. Um, I think he's fine. There's long speed. Uh, there's some inefficiency, but the the offense should continue to get better. They're building up the offensive line. So I, I would I would expect that he'll finish somewhere in the – I guess 18 to 24 range among running backs this year across formats. I think that's probably a good pick and probably going not not value, but probably going right where he should be, I guess, in in the fifth. Up next, we're going to jump on over to a few wide receivers. 
All right, as I said, we're going to talk about a few wide receivers here. Been doing the the uh, mid-round running backs. So this is one I just love talking to people about because Pyro is kind of all over the board here. The trio of wide receivers in Arizona. Uh, curiously, they're all going in the fifth in MFL 10s. When's the last time that happened where three wide receivers from the same team are going being drafted in the same round in fantasy? Uh, Fitzgerald. He's going at the end, of course. JB, John Brown, Smoke, going in the middle. And then you've got my old Notre Dame boy there, Michael Floyd, going towards the, the front-ish spot of the middle fifth round. Now, personally for me, I've, I've moved these guys all over the board. At first, I was thinking I'm just going to do uh, Fitzgerald. I'm going to have him ranked the highest because he's for sure to get the numbers, whereas I think Fitzgerald probably has maybe the highest floor out of those guys, and he's just probably the safest. But a lot of people like Floyd. Finished uh, five out of eight games um, last season, had 100 yards in five out of eight. However, Floyd gives me pause. Uh, five of his games in 2015, he failed to put up three that's three PPR points. He couldn't reach three in five games. John Brown, on the other hand, games below eight fantasy points in PPR, one. And that was when he was shut out against Seattle. So to me, Floyd certainly has the lowest floor, perhaps highest ceiling. But to me, I'm kind of, John Brown is leading uh, the race for me right now. Uh, who do you like in Arizona out of those wide receivers? What's your order? Uh, I've easily got Michael Floyd tops among them. Um, I, you know, I think the risk is is mostly injury based at this point. He dealt with multiple injuries last year. Started with the three um, dislocated fingers at the beginning of the season. Had a hamstring issue. Had a knee late in the season. So I think we can blame some of last year's dips on that, and certainly some missed time on it. Um, but late in the season, he was leading the team in targets. Um, he still had 500 yard, five 100 yard games last year, despite missing time, despite playing through injuries. Um, and his coach and GM each said in the second half of last season that he's done a lot of growing physically and mentally. He's heading into a contract year now. Bruce Arians said that a healthy Michael Floyd could have gone for 1,500 yards last year. So I think that I, I'm not going to buy that number, but I think that the opportunity is going to be there for him. I think he's easily the best combo of age, talent. Um, and size in that group at this point, the best TD bet. So I'm taking him first, and then Fitzgerald and John Brown are basically tied for me. So the one I would take next is whoever is whoever winds up sticking around for a better value point. Yeah, a little narrative street with uh, Mr. Floyd. He This is a contract year for him, so that's often uh, some incentive to put up some big numbers on the field. Turning to Indy. Now, this is an interesting one because when you and I were first going back and forth, uh, I sent you some questions. We were, we were doing some email exchanges and just talking ADP. And this is one reason I suppose I like using MFL 10s. You can pull up on MFL 10 actual drafts. So we're talking not mocks. We're talking human beings that have something on the line. They're putting up cash, whereas fantasy football calculator, mock drafts, you know, a lot of those things maybe somebody's there for the first four rounds and then it's computer drafted after that and it just goes off a list they're, i don't know if they are as accurate of course 
the, the little caveat, though, as I said before, MFL 10 PPR and best ball. So it's a bit different. But just to illustrate my point, when I sent you the first ADP question on uh, Moncrief, I was using MF or I'm uh, sorry, I was using Fantasy Football Calculator, which had him, I believe, eighth round. And you came back and said, well, you know, MFL 10, fourth round. That's a pretty big difference between those two. So I, I got to believe MFL 10 is perhaps the better one to use. It's, it's real people with something on the line. Now, that said, Moncrief, fourth round MFL 10 is awfully expensive. I love Moncrief. Out of the four wide receivers on the depth chart, Moncrief is the only one standing over six feet tall. Uh, the only pass catcher that's taller is, of course, uh, the tight end, Dwayne Allen. He's 6'3", Moncrief 6'2". I think Moncrief is going to be a, a great red zone target. He had six touchdowns last year. Five of them came in Andrew Luck's seven games. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are pulling out an abacus out there, 33% of Luck's 2015 passing TDs went to Moncrief. I really like him, and I've got a bold prediction that Moncrief could outscore Hilton. What do you say, sir? What do you think about a Moncrief this year? I think it's possible. I'm kind of just okay with him at ADP. He's not a, a guy that I am, I don't know. He's not a guy that I think is overrated, and I'm also not chasing him too hard because, um, for me, the, he's, he's big and he's athletic and he's in a good situation with Indy. Um, the fact that he never um, he never made the most of his athleticism in college, I mean – he was this big athletic guy there, and yet when he was a junior and Laquan Treadwell was a freshman, Treadwell was immediately the team leader in receptions. So that bugs me a little bit, and the fact that he can be this big athletic and from a, a, a big school and still last to the third round, that bugs me a little bit. So I, I'm not projecting him to beat Hilton. I think it's possible. I think they're going to spread it around pretty well there. I, th I still think Hilton's going to lead in targets, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Moncrief leads the team in touchdowns. Yeah, love him in the red zone. I think that's going to be the, the contributing factor to my bold prediction. It, can he get 9-10 touchdowns? Now, another guy on the team that's unfortunately rising up draft boards, I almost picked him. We did some ADP values. This was like a month ago. And for my tight end, I went ahead and went with Ebron. I think he's got great potential. Uh, I think he was a 10th overall pick a few years back. It takes tight ends a, a while to work in. But I almost went with Dwayne Allen, and I'm really liking Dwayne Allen. 160 vacated targets in Indy. As I said, he's the tallest pass catcher for uh, Andrew Luck to, to see in the red zone. As I said, 160 vacated targets. Johnson, Andre Johnson, 67. I'm sorry, 76. Fleener, 84. 160, that, that's a lot. And I think Dwayne Allen could be the recipient going in 10th round in MFL 10s. Now, Colts, according to Pyro's draft kit, sixth easiest tight end schedule. I really like a Dwayne Allen and is one of the reasons I think you can wait super late for tight end and, and nab some of those great wide receivers and running backs early. What do you think about a Dwayne Allen for the Colts? Uh, I like him fine. If I had to if I had to bet on one of the Colts to lead the team in touchdown catches, he would be the one that I would put money down on. Um, you know, we'll see what the reception ceiling is. Uh, durability has been an issue, but I don't care about that if you're talking about the bottom of starter territory, round 10 for tight ends. Um, you know, you'll get somebody else if he gets hurt. Um, the situation's great. Uh, I think he's he's a, a definitely at least a solid value and potentially a big value where he's going. Yeah, I, I think big value. Hopefully uh, word stays mum 
and uh, not too many people uh, pick up on them, but we shall see as the draft approaches. Man, I'm, I'm already excited. It's May. Uh, I got a long way to go. I'm Twitter painting over here. Uh, let's talk. finish out the Colts. Mr. Frank Gore going uh, eighth round, 802, according to MFL 10 right now. Now, again, does far better with luck on the field. Five of Gore's touchdowns came in the seven games luck was on the field. Uh, eighth round, as I said, MFL 10 and fantasy football calculator. Again, starting running back in the NFL with virtually no competition. Uh, ironically, I looked this up on PFF, and maybe this doesn't bode well for PFF. I'm not sure. Uh, he was the 27th ranked running back overall, according to their ranking. They also had at 27, Adrian Peterson. I don't think anybody who watched Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson could say they're equal. Uh, however, Gore certainly was at least ranked higher than I thought he would be. Last year, first year ever in his long storied career that he dipped below four yards per carry. Now, the Colts spent... Uh, two of their first three picks on offensive linemen. Ryan Kelly, the center in the first. He was the very first center taken in the draft. And uh, LaRaven Clark, offensive tackle in the third. I think that's going to do well for Gore. I think you're finding some great value in the eighth round with old Frank. Do you think Frank the Tank, who I believe it is his birthday today, uh, do you think he has it left in the proverbial tank? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can expect him to be the same guy that he was. I think that even with the various factors, the dip in um, rushing average tells us that. But also, he doesn't have to be that good to be a productive fantasy back where he is. I think the Colts will move the ball. I think they'll give him scoring opportunities. And I don't think Robert Turbin is going to steal him. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Hopefully, you know, they're not, they can't cram the box uh, luck as long as he's healthy, you got to play him honest. So hopefully that should open up some space for Gorn. Mm -hmm. What about going north just a little bit? Green Bay, everyone loves to talk about the Packers. They had just an abysmal season comparatively to what they're used to. They lost Nelson. Nelson returns, of course, getting older. But the tight end situation, I think, is rather interesting. According to Pyro's SOS metric, that's strength of schedule, which you can find on our draft kit. We're about to put out our third version right now. They've got the second easiest tight end schedule, does Green Bay. Now, Pro Football Focus ranks uh, Richard Rodgers, their 17th overall tight end. Mr. Rodgers is going in the uh, 16th round, 16th neighborhood, Mr. Rodgers' neighborhood, 16th round in MFL 10s. Now, the Packers acquired Jared Cook, whom PFF doesn't like, 53rd best ranked tight end. Jared Cook, though, he is... Just a freak of an athlete. The man is 6'5", 250 pounds, ran a 4.49, 41-inch vertical, 123 broad jump. That is just insane. If you compare the two just numbers-wise, Cook is an inch taller, jumps 9 inches higher, and runs half a second faster than does Richard Rogers. Which one would you take and why? I'm not interested in either one outside of a best ball format because for best ball, I think either one makes sense late because you can get either one as a third tight end and they're both playing with Aaron Rodgers. So they're both going to score some touchdowns at some point. Um, but I also don't think that one is going to emerge as the clear number one tight end and, you know, find a whole lot of targets. I believed in Jared Cook um, too many times to believe in him now. And I don't, I think Richard Rogers is a fine player. So I don't think that they went and got Jared cook because they had to upgrade. I think they found this guy who's a good athlete 
who can fill a role for them and who's coming to them for cheap because his last team dumped him. And, it, you know, it certainly makes sense for Green Bay to add that piece. I think it's going to be tough for either guy to, to, to deliver consistent fantasy value. All right, so I said I'm taking a tight end pretty late this year, and Ebron, uh, Dwayne Allen, maybe a Fleener Falls, I, I would target him. But where are you taking a tight end? Are you going to spend an early-round pick, or are you going to wait with the abundance of talent this year? I'm fine with taking Gronk in round one. I'm fine with Jordan Reed from pretty much end of round three on. I think if I don't draft one of those guys, and I haven't drafted Reed at all yet. I have drafted Gronk multiple times. If I don't get one of those guys, I think Delaney Walker is probably my next guy, depending on where he goes. Um, but I, I'm also, I'm also just going to go where the value is because, you know, if I don't get him, then Antonio Gates is out there. If I don't get him, you get into the range where, um, Kobe Fleener, Ladarius Green, uh, Zach Ertz are all available. They're just, uh, once you get past Gronk and then past Jordan Reed, I think it's very easy to get, um, at least a, a solid tight end. So fair to say, though, on most of your teams, you're usually drafting a tight end earlier. You've got one of the bigger names, tight ends, generally. I mean, I wouldn't say that. It's If if my board falls in round one where Gronk is the guy, then I'll take him fairly often. Reed has not been a target. I haven't drafted him yet. So I, okay. I, I guess basically if I don't get Gronk, then I'm most likely going to draft one in round nine or ten. We didn't really talk about get into the, the, the quarterbacks, but let me just ask you. We've uh, spent a lot of time this offseason on Pyromaniac Light doing fantasy football talks and talking a lot about the uh, late round quarterback theory um, by J.J. Uh, Zacharyson, friend of the show, and even Denny Carter, friend of the show. Now, what's your philosophy on that? Are you going to end up with one of the, the top tier quarterbacks or are you fine with waiting? No, we, I mean, we've always been wait on a quarterback, uh, guys, since even before I was on the, the staff at Draft Sharks. Um, I think this year they're getting pushed down the board because, again, we had Andrew Luck getting hurt, Aaron Rodgers disappointing without Jordy Nelson, um, you know, a guy in Cam Newton who was drafted way down the QB board shooting to the top. So everybody reacts, and that's pushing all the quarterbacks down the board where you can take one of the top five guys at good value. You can get Drew Brees in round eight or so. Um, so I have no problem with taking one of those guys from round six on – uh, I'm still a little bit more likely to wait and take somebody like Tyrod Taylor, uh, Marcus Mariota, because you can get two of those guys in double-digit rounds and get plenty of value out of them. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, when you look at a professional expert league, quarterbacks always go late. And then when you get into the, <laughs> the blue-collar leagues, they often go quite a bit earlier. Uh -huh. Um, interesting, the discrepancy, that's one of the biggest discrepancies. I think when you look at ADP and then you, you're sitting around a table, that's the one that really, I think changes. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. If it's, uh, is specific to experts and they know that you can wait or just the heat of the moment, people start grabbing them, but I'm, I'm with yeah. you. I'm a total late round. Yeah, guy. And if you play in one of those leagues where the top guys are going round two, round three, that's where you should wait. I mean, even if you're waiting until round eight instead of round 12, um, you're going to get better value because there's just not going to be that big a split between who your league mate is taking in round three and the guy that you can get in round nine. Right, and that's what people don't understand. They'll say, oh, well, you've got uh, Tyrod Taylor compared to Aaron Rodgers. Well, okay, while you were taking Aaron Rodgers, who did I get at running back to pair with Tyrod Taylor, and then who did you pick up in the 11th round when I got Tyrod? Right. So I, I think they've got a limited scope when it comes to that mm -hmm. in drafting quarterback early. 
Hey, we've been talking about some draft philosophy. I want to know a one more thing about your taste, and then I'm going to let you go. You've been more than generous with your time. Once again, I'm with Matt Schauf from Draft Sharks. Give him a follow on Twitter, at S-C-H-A-U-F-D-S. Mr. Schauf, we're doing this in the uh, AM, I suppose, PM-ish. We just reached that PM mark. So depending on where you are, maybe it's early for a beer, maybe it's not. <laughs> But uh, normally I'm drinking a Founders or I got Shorts Brewery, Hoopa Loopalicious. Uh, what is uh, one of the beers that you like to crack open on a, on a weekend or on a weekday night? Well, I know the last time we talked I was working on uh, Scotty Karate from Dark Horse, which is a, a yeah. Scotch Ale. Both that, the regular and the bourbon barrel edition. Um, right now my favorite um, in general is Chill Wave, which is an Imperial or double IPA from uh, Great Lakes Brewing. Um, seasonal, so I always have to snatch up as much as I can find when it's when it's out. Great Lakes, they're a Michigan brewery, yes. I believe Cleveland. Oh, Cleveland. Okay, I bet you're right. I was gonna say, boy, I'm just I, I live in the, the state of breweries, shorts, <laughs> founders, uh, the the Crooked Tree IPA I drink from uh, Dark Horse, so it's a uh, it's a bevy of riches here in the Mitten State. Yeah, definitely. If I'm, I make it to Michigan at some point, it might it might not be pretty. Oh, you make it to Michigan. You let me know. I can give you something of a tour. Many of the pyromaniacs know I met my wife at Founders. Uh, my buddy just opened up Gray Line Brewing in Grand Rapids. Uh, I know quite a few, few people in the industry, so I can show you a good time. It sounds good. Now, now, last one for you. So Maybe two. Uh, since we kind of talked about a lot of running backs, late round running backs, guys, sixth round or later, is there anybody we didn't mention that you are really sort of targeting or you really like for a late round running back, sixth round running back later? I think we pretty much much hit on the guys that I'm looking at. LeGarrette Blunt's one name that didn't come up, and I think that he was another big winner from the draft because they didn't pick up anybody unless you count undrafted free agent DJ Foster, who was more of a receiver in college. But Blunt's got lots of touchdown upside, as he showed last year. Um, and it, he he's obviously going to lose some value in PPR, but he he will have enough scoring opportunities. And you can, even though there will be games where he doesn't carry the ball as much, you can predict um, based on their matchups when he is going to get the ball, at least based on his usage pattern last year. Um, so you can realize when to sit him and when it's good to use him. Yeah, uh, Blount was uh, taken recently, pretty early, I believe, in our uh, pyro draft. I want to say, boy, maybe I shouldn't even mention it. He was going in, yeah, sixth round he went uh, to Houdini's team, the Ezekiel 25-17. Wow. Yes, that was early, right? Sixth round, uh, right, he went right around Amir Abdullah, Danny Woodhead, Ajahi, Gordon, Gore. Those were the backs taken a little bit before and a little bit after. Um, I thought that was a bit early to grab him, but maybe maybe not yeah. if, if you like the situation. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an okay spot for him. Um, it, it's really the key is knowing when to sit him and when to start him because there will be games where he carries it five times and there will be games where he carries it 20. Yeah, that's the thing with Wild Bill. Sometimes you just don't know <laughs> when those games are coming. Uh, but got to love the, the man in the hood. Um, last one for you, sir. I've asked this before. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. There's a classic song, uh, Amos Milburn, but of course, John Lee Hooker, immortalized. One bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. Along those lines, give me one bounce back, one sleeper, and one bust. I'm going to go Eddie Lacy for the bounce back, um, as we discussed earlier. Sleeper, yeah. I'll say Doriel Green Beckham, um, partly because we haven't mentioned him yet, and because in this year where... You, you have to reach for wide receivers early. I think he's a guy who you can get in like the seventh round who 
might not deliver. He might be a wide receiver four in fantasy, but he also could be uh, top 18 um, if he gets opportunity. The talent's there. The opportunity is there if the targets go his way. Um, and my bust, uh, let me let me go with two busts because we didn't talk about Le'Veon Bell. I'm not taking him in round one, at least until we get into the summer, and I see that his knee's fine. But right now, I think yeah. it's nuts to take him in round one. Um, and then my second one for a similar reason is Des Bryant. He's going late in round one. He's had two foot surgeries um, since the beginning of last season. He had one in January. Um, you know, we'll see how healthy he is in the summer. But even if he gets through the summer, that foot has to be a concern. And you have to take into account, I think, that his ADP is sitting right ahead of A.J. Green, Mike Evans, and Alshon Jeffrey. I think all four of those guys are very similar at full strength. So to me, I would rather take any of those other three on two healthy feet versus Des Bryant on one questionable one. Yeah, with Des Bryant, uh, like you say, not only his injury, but Romo's injury history as well. And Lord knows when Romo's gone, Des isn't going to light things on fire at all. I like Doriel Beckham Green or Doriel Green Beckham. Uh, I like what Tennessee's doing. I, but my fear is there they're going to spread it around so much. There's not any uh, fantastic talent that jumps off the board, maybe running back. But with the wide receivers, there's just so many. But it's one reason I'm really liking uh, Marietta. Love the Lacey call as well. Who was your Who was your other bust? You gave me two. Oh, Lev Bell. Mm-hmm. Just talked to uh, Will Carroll not too long ago. He's a phenomenal uh, injury expert, and he. I asked who was the most hesitant he was on any of the, the guys that got injured last year for this year, and it was Levy and Bell. He was the most worried about being able to come back, particularly early in the season. So I'm with you there. I'm interested to see the news about Levy and Bell over the summer, uh, see how he's progressing. Could move D'Angelo Williams up even further. Even if Lev Bell's back, maybe they won't give him as much of a, of a load until he's 100% recovered. Mm-hmm. Like the calls, sir. And I certainly appreciate the time, Mr. Shelf. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Guys, you've been listening to, of course, Pyromaniac Mo, and I've been talking to Draft Shark's own Mr. Matt Schauff. Follow him on Twitter at S-C-H-A-U-F-D-S. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Pyromaniac Mo. And gang, I will catch you on the flip side. 